Hello and welcome to the Mechanics Institute podcast. My name is Angel. Uh, I'm a French writer living in London. It's been four years now. I'm also a student at Birkbeck University where I'm studying uh, for an MA in creative writing. And um, today for this episode, we're going to talk to writer Toby Litt about his last novel called Patience, which will be published on the 20th of August 2019. Toby Litt has published collection of short stories, created non-fiction, fiction, but also comic. Uh, his last book, Restliana, was published in May 2018 by Galea Begal Press. And he is also a reader at Birkbeck in creative writing and the convener of the MFA in creative writing. So welcome, Toby, and thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you. Um, now you're going to read a passage from your novel, Patience, so here we go. I looked at the white wall, and I looked at the white wall, and I looked at the white wall, and then I looked some more at the white wall, and then instead I looked, as things developed, quite, quite beyond my control, at the white of the wall, and then at the whiteness of the white of the wall, and then only at the whiteness, as if it could exist independently of the wall. And I continued to look at the whiteness of the whiteness until I began to look into the whiteness and then through the whiteness to see if there was a whiteness behind or beneath the whiteness. And in this way, I continued, for anyone looking at me from outside, to seem to continue to look at the white wall for quite a while longer than I'd already looked at the wall, that I discovered a long while ago was white beyond whiteness. And that was the very same wall I had looked at and looked at and looked through and into many, many long, long times over the long years. Years that I couldn't help but look back on as seven white years, years almost entirely white, although sometimes too they were green. Because, you see, depending on how I had been, how I, Elliot, had behaved the previous day, Sometimes I was parked facing not the white wall, but in a position where I was able to look down and out through the window that looked down on the courtyard, this depending on whether or not I had been good, good meaning calm, and more specifically good meaning quiet and dry, because the wall calmed me, whereas the courtyard and its visions of great human and avian activity sometimes excited me beyond what the sisters termed reasonable. So thank you Toby for sharing an extract of your novel, that's great. I just have a few questions for you now, so uh, I wanted to know first of all how did you come to write the novel and uh, what gave you the idea? It took a long time to write the novel and I spent a long time not writing it, partly because I thought it was going to be very difficult and maybe that I shouldn't uh, shouldn't go into that territory but but also because um, I I wanted to write something um, that was that was true to, to, to the experience of the main character and the main character Elliot who is uh, the, the narrator there who was speaking in the reading he has cerebral palsy he can't move uh, except very very slightly and that's why he's staring at this white mm -hmm. wall. And so there was the 
sort of seeming impossibility of, of, of having things happen around a character or to a character who who uh, isn't isn't capable of, of making them happen um, and at the same time uh, I, I wanted to to write something that that was ha- had a had a sort of joy to it um, because I, I didn't want to assume uh, that that Elliot's life was, uh, was necessarily a terrible life. So what happened initially was I saw a exhibition of photographs um, in Germany uh, by a, a photographer called Peter Rautert and, and some of these were taken in a in a children's home um, and there were two particular photographs one of which showed a long corridor with a number of children on it one of whom seemed to be sitting looking into a wooden wardrobe or filing cabinet. I couldn't tell why uh, and, and he intrigued me and then there was another photograph of a boy in a wheelchair and it was taken looking up at him through a large window it was obviously a sort of bright new sort of 60s building the, the photographs were taken in 1974 and he looked like sort of Franz Kafka he looked incredibly intense I and mean, it was a gaze you would probably have turned away from um, so those two things over the course of years and years uh, came together and the the boy in the wheelchair became the boy on the long corridor mm-hmm. became Elliot okay so after seeing this exhibition you were inspired and you started like putting the novel together but it took a long time as you said um i saw because i read on your website there's an extract of the the novel and i was interested to how you put together the voice for elliot because this is very peculiar and this is i I was very into it when i read it because it it moved me a lot how you you describe his feelings so i was just wondering how because it took 12 years you said is that it yeah well i looked back when i came to the end i I had some pages that i'd written in response to seeing those pictures there were lots of other Mm. things that went into the the wanting to write about someone someone paralyzed wanting to write about Mm -hmm. someone who who starts out by by just seeing what would seem like nothing this this whiteness and then sees so much in it but the voice was not really there to start with um there were there are one or two things in in what i sketched down that that stayed um that the kurt the the boy looking into the filing cabinet is 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 still there but elliot developed as someone who uses language as a way to be uh, elegant to dance to move and and he he loves music but he loves the sound of language he loves odd words or mm-hmm. uh, and and in this he's very like um christopher nolan christy nolan who was also a a source for the book because he was someone I, I I knew about when he was alive. He he had a a, a similar 
release from having cerebral palsy and, and taking uh, a drug which allowed him to move enough for his mother to help him to type, essentially by holding his chin before sort of computing came along and, and, and was a bit more uh, helpful in, in speeding up his writing. But it turned out that he'd been writing poems in his head since he was eight. And he was an Irish writer and obviously very influenced by Yeats and uh, Joyce and people that his father had read to him. But he, it was his book of poems was called Damn Burst of Dreams because when he was able to express himself um, through, through written language, suddenly all this stuff that had been going on in his, in his mind came out. And he has a very different language to Eliot. Uh, Christy Nolan's language is kind of gnarled. It's like, if I've had hours and hours to think of this quatrain, this thing, then I'm going to make it as ornate as I possibly can. Yes. Whereas uh, I, Eliot's wish, I think, is to be able to make long graceful gestures of language and that's his voice it's, so the, the the white the white wall sentence is is that's all one sentence he's not a big fan of commas um <laughs> but he does like uh finding out what he thinks by by just following the sentence and it, and it keeping going um and going to completely unexpected places okay so since when you put the character of Elliot together, did you try to find out what, like, where these boys were, or did you try to find more about? Um, did you try to find out more about this when you were at the exhibition, or did this all come naturally to you because the character spoke to you when you saw it and you just found the idea? Well, it was a mix. I'm very wary of mixing uh, bits of sort of intense research and being true to someone who exists experience and fictionalizing things. And one of the things about Eliot is that he pays attention to things that are so small that you would almost be embarrassed to ask someone if if they did so for example he can tell apart all of the nuns all of the sisters on on the ward by the sound of their shoes probably it would take a single footstep at the end of a corridor of the corridor for him to know who they were now that's my presumption i think it's yeah. probably a reasonably defensible presumption <laughs> that that someone who can't turn around but has very good hearing would would over years and years develop that and, and it probably wouldn't take them very long but in a sense do, doing research into that wouldn't have helped i did do research and i i did keep my eyes open and um for example i i, I was the governor of the, the schools only about mm -hmm. 500 feet away from here um this is my home um and uh I was the I was the governor who had um, the contact governor for looked after children and children okay. with special needs, and so I was dealing with the Senko there and things, and and so I was involved with you know trying to help the, those those kids who had a special room, uh, which kind of um, calmer than the rest of the school, um, 
I was involved in helping them go through the education system and get the most out of it and things. So, so yes, there was that, but I would, in, in the most honest way, uh, Elliot came out of my uh, attempt to uh, be Elliot, to, to, yeah. to sit still and pay attention um, and to, to see what swam into view rather than to push a story. Sure. So I was wondering because in a re recent lecture you gave at Bergbeck, you were talking about the process of writing and the research as well that that goes into the book, like is mixed with that because you you have written books of fiction and creative nonfiction. So I'm just wondering how do you tell apart like the fiction from the nonfiction when you're actually writing this book, which is I mean, you kind of are the character in this book as well because you put yourself into Elliot. So how does the process well, go for you? Well, I, I disagree because I think Elliot writes better than <laughs> I do and I think he's nicer than I am and kinder than I am and he loves the world or at least he's prepared to express his love for the physical mm. world, even in its ugly aspects, um, more, more than I feel comfortable with. Um, Elliot loves Christmas. I'm, I'm a bit grouchy around that time of year. Um, but how do I tell the difference? I, I don't want things within a work of fiction to seem like they've come from different levels of experience. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to uh, incorporate something that you know is true because someone you met and now feel some responsibility of, of representation um, for to, you if you if you are trying to fact check yourself and and just check yourself and check as you go along um, it can disrupt the rhythm and therefore the, mm. the the basic kind of truth of someone's utterance of the of the way they are in the world and the way they are in the world through language and that's what I tried to do almost as the book as if the book were a single gesture a single kind of sentence with with that character what I tended to do uh, was firstly keep my eyes open um, just for the, the people around me for, for, for what I what I heard or observed um, take the opportunities that arose um, to to you know if if I'm if I'm around the the kids in the school just to see how they're um, interacting with one another, but but then subsequently to check with you know, textbooks or, or autobiographies or things just for particular. For particular things um, but I'm I don't feel that this is a research book because Restliana was a research book and that was painfully <laughs> researched because I didn't want to say anything in it that I couldn't back up yes with at least uh, some kind of inference um, because uh, it, it was to do with um, history you know it's not a yeah. it's not a fiction and when did 
when did you get to the turning point of this book where you felt like for patience where you felt like you could write it because you went from the idea to you know waiting and then at some point you started writing it so when what ma made you take the decision to that it's a good question and i'm really good at forgetting <laughs> different stages of writing long period of time I, yeah it's a long period of time it was probably three or four years ago and i had things that i thought i would do in the book that i slowly junked um and and, and one of them was an idea that that came to me and this predates i think the the um seeing the photographs, the, the Rata photographs, were, was the Romanian orphans, um, which was sort of 1990, that people mm. uh, in, in the West found out uh, about this sort of abandonment that had gone on the, and the treatment of, of uh, orphan, R Romanian orphans. And, and that had always um, stuck. I think it stuck with, with millions of people. But... I, it stuck in the way that things stick with novelists and writers is that what is the story? Is there a story? Could could you could you make a story out of that? And and there's also a novel by Mike Marshall Smith called Spares, um, which is a futuristic novel in which 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 I think Ishiguro for Never Let Me Go. I think he was at least aware of it uh, in in which a group of um, children uh, escape. Mm from uh, some form of institution and and in in both they're, they're being kept for organs that, that um, other people are going to use if they have a car crash or something and I thought that the bulk of the novel might be an escape uh, and then a journey and then the journey just disappeared you know the the it 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 sort of did whatever the reverse of telescoping is, it, it, it became more the start of the story um, and more intensely um, the difficulty of, mm. of essentially getting outside. That's all Elliot wants to do. He just wants to go sure. outside. And in the process of all these years where you had this idea at the back of your mind. I was doing other things, you know, yes, don't, exactly. don't, don't pity that's, me. That's, that was where my <laughs> question was going to go. It's like, how do you deal with the fact that, well, you obviously wrote a lot of things in between. So how do you deal with the fact that, oh, you had this idea at the back of your mind, which you were working on, but it wasn't concrete. So how, how do you deal with that? Because do you think that a lot of writers have that as well, like a wish to write something that they're not sure about and they have at the back of their minds. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I, I understand that um, the uh, Hilary Mantel had the idea for her, her trilogy of uh, books and Bring Up the Bodies and, and uh, a long time before she started. I, I know that um, I've had novels where I've had a phrase like for I wrote a novel called Dead Kid Songs and and mm -hmm. that that for a long time existed as the childhood book that phrase in my head I just thought there will be a a book I'll do um, that is 
uh, intensely about the experience of being a boy, of being a, uh, a, a violent <laughs> boy. Um, so sometimes things just exist as a, a, a notion or a title or, or something. But I think with this, I couldn't see how I uh, would be able to write at length um, when there would be such a claustrophobia of, of immobility, but in, not only in the character, but in, in the action. And, and, and I really wanted there to be a lot of, or, or, or as the voice came alive, the, the world came alive, and I realised it was a very live world. As a bracket to this, I also um, meditate. I do a form of Zen mm -hmm. meditations, which is essentially doing yes. nothing with your eyes open. Uh, and I used to do meditation where you did nothing with your eyes closed, which tends to be a sort of phantasmagory of what's going on in your head, and you, you can form visual images. But in this kind of form of, of uh, uh, Soto Zen meditation, you, you sit facing a wall and your eyes are open, so there's no uh, tripping out on, on your own imagination. You, you, you're faced with whatever you see in the wall. You can, you can see a uh, great many things, but, but one of the things you're, you're confronted with then is uh, not trying to make it interesting, but, but just how much change there is if you sit immobile and look at something which is which is essentially featureless. Um, so that was part of it and also I think the way that that changed me as a person in that I was slowing down my expectations of entertainment or my expectations of what was uh, worth attending to. Um, so I was, I was changed by that. And when I got to a slow enough point, um, then, then I think I started to realize that it could be through the beauty of the detail of the world and the smallness of the gestures and the Achievement of a, of a form of communication with Jim, who I, I haven't mentioned, who, who who comes to the to the home and and uh, forms a, a sort of deep uh, friendship with with Elliot. That that movement was was uh, where when I thought it was possible. But the thing that stands out for me was actually sitting in a car parked by a South London park while one of my sons played football, um, and writing in a notebook. Uh, on the steering wheel of the car and uh, suddenly hitting a sentence where it didn't really stop. It didn't hit a full stop and stop. It kept going and I didn't know where it was going and then it got somewhere. And, it's... and then at that point, I remember very clearly believing that that was Elliot's voice. Do you think that so far it's your most accomplished book you would say because i mean yeah it's embarrassingly <laughs> um but it, well it just feels like the other things i've done um are are i've done lots of different things and i've tried lots of different things um uh and yet uh, there's something about this book that 
made me feel at points when I was writing it that um, it was being written by someone better than me and that I just needed not to screw it up, um, which is rare, which is rare. But I think that's shared with lots of other people who do other things. It's that it's sort of in the zone thing. Uh, and for that reason, essentially because in Elliot, I had a, a presence who I could listen to and follow I didn't have to push and I stopped trying to impress in certain ways that I hate in myself <laughs> and hate in my own writing um, and when I look back on some of my uh, short stories they, they seem very whizzy and very um, keen to, to do their little dance mm. on the unicycle and 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 I find that off-putting now but that's partly because I wrote them when I was 25 and I'm, I'm 50 whatever now. Taking into you know a broader vision of what it is now to be a writer do you think that we all because it took you a lot of time to write this novel that you're now happy about and it's very rare to hear someone say that which is great because I would love to be happy about my own writing I'm sure many people would be but I'm just wondering if there's also this sort of um, impatience that we all have because of, as well, social media, because now writers are all on social media and all you hear about all day, someone has uh, published a book, someone has, um, you know, won the competition, but you never see, like, people only show you their successes but don't mm. show you what is behind so do you think as well it's made it worse the fact that we're all on social media oh well yeah i thought you were going to ask a different question I and mean, one of the things that that Restliana was about but one of the things i've thought a lot about is 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 failing and doing things badly mm. and it's one of the things that i i tried to bring out in the lecture you mentioned yes. in, the, in the teaching and um i think someone asked me at the end you know what, what i've done to deserve it now I'm not but I you know it's it's for other people to read the book and judge it and they, they may think I'm completely deluded and corpse, corpsing is a much better read because it's got shooting in and stuff like that but um in if, from from my uh point of view from my writerly sanity my my writerly kind of balance I think it's failing repeatedly re incessantly at trying to do certain things that trying to do your best that means that at a at a certain point you 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 gained uh, enough uh skill um to to write the sentences when they come along and and they they flow and they they're good sentences I and mean, that that I think that's a not an an original idea about uh writing but I I think the the two things that I say in the lecture were you know there there are no wasted hours there's no wasted effort the the problem is that the balance of uh, wasted hours to good sentences seems to be disproportionate <laughs> um, uh, and and my um, my view about social media is in in specifically your question is that I do think people's success and their representation of that um, makes a lot of people frankly depressed 
um, and depressed on a daily basis um, and that's not that's not good for them it's not good for their writing um, I understand the the generative thing that's also going on but I'm less oppressed by um, someone saying you know I've been nominated for this mm -hmm. prize that's that's good I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them um, uh, than I am those people that saying I'm aiming this year to make a hundred submissions or sure. I'm doing 3,000 words today and I'm going to do 4,000 words tomorrow because I think both of those things are a wrong view of, of writing yeah if you're if you're writing a, a, a novel that you've essentially written before you're you're a you're a genre writer and you have to write two books a year or something then then maybe the 3000 words a day is is a is a good target however i think if you're if you're trying to distill anything you 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 can't just spew it spew is not is not sure. distill distilled um and i think if you if you look at that kind of uh i'm gonna i'm gonna send out this many stories to um i'm gonna spend my time sending out this many stories to competitions um in the hope that one of them will will place or whatever rather than i'm going to spend time on this story i'm i'm going to dwell in this story i'm going to learn to write better this story won't go out but but maybe the next one or the one one in three stories time will go out that is a healthier way of approaching things because encouraging other people to be scattergun in their approach is is not helping anyone it's certainly not going to help editors um but it's not helping writers because it does require a huge amount of time um, to do something even halfway good. Yes. Thank you. It's, it's almost as if there's a sense of being productive in writing when, well, that's not what it's really about. So it's, it's very interesting. Well, a few years ago, I heard someone say you shouldn't treat yourself like a factory. Yes. And I thought that was very uh, <laughs> useful. It's Indeed. probably a little... Um, mean <laughs> but don't don't treat yourself as a, as a factory don't and don't don't ex expect yourself to always be turning out product um you know we can be hippie sure. you're more like a field <laughs> shame <laughs> you knew that exactly so i just have a final question now so do you have a book recommendation for us a book that had some influence on patients but that I, I love entirely separately is called The Long Way by Bernard Matassier and mm -hmm. he was a French yeah. sailor who uh, took part in the work round the world race and he was in the lead having gone most of the way around the world done all the difficult bits around the capes and he was heading up towards Portsmouth and he turned away he tacked south and he kept going. He did another cape and then he wound up in Tahiti. But the book is about being alone on the vastest space that anyone could be, the, 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 the Southern Oceans, 
and being ecstatic with with all the possibility of that with the limited uh world that was present to him um that it contained none of the things that that we would think were were necessary he had no radio um he, he, he i mean he 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 was in radio silence essentially for most of the time and clearly no kind of sat now but he's been described as the person who in history was most at home at the sea and an ex- extraordinary thing to read his account of that isolation and that joy thank you toby for speaking to us today um your book will be published on the 20th of august uh, by Galibega Press, and you can already pre-order it online on galibegapress.co.uk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Toby Lip for taking part in this podcast, and thank you for listening. If you like what we do here at Mirror Online, and you'd like to support us, why not check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mirrorline, where we have a ton of rewards aimed at supporting new writers. You can follow us on Twitter at mirrorlinebbk and hear previous episodes of the podcast wherever you listen to them.